Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the official Tennis.com podcast featuring professional coach and community leader, Kamal Murray. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. We are back this week. We've got a very, very special guest. We've got the honor and the privilege to be in the company of one half of the Jensen brothers. Uh, I'm sure he'll say the better half of the Jensen brothers, Murphy Jensen, uh, a fellow Midwestern boy. Yeah, uh, who somehow made it out of this snow and this cold in Michigan yeah. to the bright city lights. Uh, and so, Murphy, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Kamal. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be here or, or anywhere for that matter. Uh, <laughs> I'm 52 years old, tennis player that uh, living on house money. I, you know, I know that I know what that's like. Yeah. So tell me, because one of the things I always find really interesting is people's perception of where you have to live in order to make it. And there's a lot of famous players that came out of the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Serena and Venus were Saginaw, Michigan. Yep. You guys were in Michigan. What do you think? It is? I mean, even Jack Sock is from uh, Nebraska. Nebraska, right? Um, well, you got Todd Martin, Mal Washington, uh, Amy Frazier, Aaron Krigstein. You know, that's just Detroit. Yeah. You James know, it's White not, was New York. Yep. Uh, so a lot it, of cold weather climate players that yeah. really helped, right, and carried American tennis, which is why I always sort of get stuck when they say, oh, but you, you got you to gotta be from Florida, California, or you got to move to Florida, California. I'm like, well, yeah. sometimes being the big fish in a small pond is the answer. You get all the attention. You yeah. get all the support you need, right? You're the rock star, which builds yeah. your confidence. What do you, how did you all make it coming out of Michigan? Uh, I think, you know, you said you got to be in Florida. People, the general thought is you have to be in Florida. You got to be in California. It hasn't changed since the 70s. Maybe before then, I can't speak to that. I was born in 68. <laughs> but the, the, today's world says that you need to be at IMG. You need to be at some academy, some atmosphere and environment. Well, you need, we, all you really need is one word, you gotta be hungry. If you're hungry, you know, like Novak Djokovic or, uh, you know, Ana Ivanovic, you know, war-torn Serbia, and you're jumping over and under fences and hitting tennis balls and swimming pools. And I grew up shoveling the tennis court in Northern Michigan, no indoor tennis facilities in a town of three courts and one's at my house. And we built with our own hands. It's been a labor of love. So people say, you know, why did you love the game? Well, I built the court. Right. I, I literally, we cut the trees down. We hauled the wood. Dad got a concrete guy, you know, poured out the concrete, painted the lines. And we truly learned the game and loved the game from the ground up. And we learned the game through uh, not the tennis academies, but through magazines tennis magazine 
you know, any, anything and everything. They didn't have tennis channel back then. They didn't have tennis.com. They didn't have, so, you know, the fact we were fans and loved the game then played in the neighborhood and, and speaking of the small fish, big fish, small pond to be the best, you can say you're big fish, small pond, but there's always something, someone that can clip a 10 year old. If you're the best 12 year old in the world, there's some 17 year old that can get you. And if you're the best 17, there's probably some college guy that can get you or some businessman that used to play at UCLA right. that's in the neighborhood in Chicago. Right. Right. There's always someone that can, um, but what I like to do is what the secret sauce that our family had was exposure. Mom and dad knew the benefit of coming to see you and have you look at our game and then go see Victor Amaya. I'm a 6'4 lefty. He was a 6'8 lefty, French Open, US Open doubles champ, quarterfinals at Wimbledon. Exposure to people, Brian Gottfried, we got exposure. Uh, Pancho Segura, we drove to Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky nonstop and then got more exposure. And we never were measured on our wins and losses. It's win or learn, win or learn, win or learn. And what did you learn mm -hmm. in your win? What did you learn? What did you learn in uh, the, in your loss? You know, but it's learning. And it was effort and attitude. You know, I'd been thrown out of the van in Aurora, Illinois for absolutely, I broke down in the Midwest Hall of Fame speech because that morning I was in Aurora at that club in the cornfield mm -hmm. speaking to some high school coaches. And it happened to be on the court where I was playing Mal Washington, who was my nemesis from the age of eight, um, <laughs> literally. And he was like Borg, stoic, didn't say a word. He wore the glasses with the, the tint yeah. on them. And uh, I misbehaved very badly, very, very badly. I was throwing my rackets. I was cursing in 43 languages. And <laughs> I was an absolute jerk. And my mother didn't say anything. And we got in the, in the family tennis van. And we were driving back to Michigan. And we pulled over. And there's snow on the ground in the cornfields. And she says, you you get out of the car. And, uh, and I walked in the snow for about two or three miles and uh, freezing. I'm in my tennis warm up in my shorts. And she said, you get back in. She goes, this is the last time I'm going to tell you this, but we do not behave like that in this family. And your tennis days are over if you ever act like that on the tennis court again. Mm. So, you know, Great parents help a lot, and uh, and just belief. Everyone talks about. You tell me what's the. Everyone talks about the elusive ingredient of confidence. Confidence. Where's this confidence, right? <laughs> you you get that, and 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 where uh, where I sit today, belief. There's a difference between hoping to do well and knowing you're going to do well. And doing well isn't based on me winning the French. Me doing well is based on me maximizing my full human potential as a human being. And I sit here at 52 years old, um, a free person, um, not limited by what my, my mind, my brain will get in the way and say, Murph, you're not enough. You don't measure up. 
You know, your forehand's weaker than your backhand. Said that my whole life. Who's saying that? Mm -hmm. And of course it's weaker because I told you and the whole world that. Most importantly, I told myself that. And so I flipped the narrative. And I think the Williams sisters are an extreme example of the power in words. Richard set out to set to to uh and his and and their family that these girls were going to be the best in the world and nobody could convince them otherwise nobody mm-hmm. and holy cow so what does that that mind can be our friend or our foe i, I agree Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. So, your, both your parents were teachers. Yeah. And, you know, your parents created not one, but two professional tennis players. Four. Did you all homeschool? Four professional tennis players. Twin sisters. All four of us played all the Grand Slams. That's right. From a, that little town. So were they, I mean, did they homeschool you guys? Because, you know, normally that's like the recipe. 14, yeah. your top, whatever, 25 <clears throat> in the country, you homeschool and you commit to this, you know. But yeah. a lot of times I see educators struggle mm-hmm. to make that decision for their kids. Did y'all homeschool or you stayed in traditional school? School was first. School was always first. It, going to college is more important than going pro. Even mm-hmm. my brother Luke, who became the number one junior in the world, singles and doubles at 18 and 84, playing doubles with Patrick McEnroe, he's got millions in endorsements, takes the scholarship to USC. School came first. Mm-hmm. It may have been a mistake because you got this momentum. And he uh-huh. went to college and was the number one player in college, you right. know, the freshman and sophomore year. Then he turns pro, you know, timing is a lot. And he had, he suffered a few injuries there. You know, he was beating Becker and Mooster. He beat Mooster on clay. Oh, and oh, Thomas Mooster on clay. Oh, and oh, and the 18s Rolex indoors or whatever it was. And, uh, but at that time school was, it still is the most important thing um, to our family, to our parents. I, what they did do really well is they didn't take us out. And we had a school, though, that and we moved from Ludington to Grand Rapids, Michigan, went to East Grand Rapids High School. The difference is, is East Grand Rapids promoted, uh, whether if I was a great violin, violinist or a cellist or a sax player or whatever, they allowed Luke to go to the French juniors. They allowed Luke and we did the summer school in the summer. Uh, and they allowed us to make it up as opposed to saying, you're not going anywhere. We got high school tennis season. It's Wimbledon. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a really good school and the principal and the vice principal and, and the community was all supporting the Jensen brothers where I couldn't have got that down at Voluntaries at the time. But mm-hmm. Luke and I did, or not Luke, I would train down there. Definitely when Luke went off to USC, I had Victor Amaya in Grand Rapids, Michigan and then Voluntaries and I was traveling with Andre and Jim Courier, uh, Agassiz Courier, Wheaton, Washington, all of us were a band of these really good juniors that continue to grow. Mm-hmm. And Todd Martin, I, I think I didn't lose a game to him in high school tennis. So where you start the race is not necessarily where you're going to finish because he ended up with a stellar career right. <laughs> on, the, on the court. 
two yeah. Grand Slam finals and singles and all that in a bag of chips. Right, right. <laughs> so let me ask you, you mentioned that you guys, you know, school came first and you went to college. You mm -hmm. went to two schools. Yeah. You went from USC to UGA, UGA to the tour. Yeah. Why did you leave USC, go to UGA for a year and then eventually to the tour? I didn't even visit USC before going. I, I, I wanted to go wherever my brother was going. I knew that in the cells of my body. I visited SMU and Clemson and, and, and maybe, maybe Georgia. But, um, and I show up to a campus on a team that was 34, 35 and 0. The worst player on the team was on the Mexican Davis Cup team. And the next worst player at five was an Olympic gold medal winner. They're all national champions. Right. You know, there's Luke, Ricky Leach. There's literally four Grand Slam champions on that team, you know, four different guys and, and doubles and had great careers. So I roll in Luke Ricky Lee, but I'm up against in myself and Byron Black rolling as freshmen. Yeah. And I'm fighting for my life at number six. <laughs> and I'm the lineup. I'm a two-time <laughs> Orange Bowl champion and, and dubs and top four in the world in singles. And you know, I know what I'm doing on the court. Right. Yeah. I, but I'm playing against fourth and fifth year seniors. And I right. and I was embarrassed and ashamed to call home because all this time I'd been that big fish all over the country, but I had the love and support of, and, and, and the, the structure in my community back in Michigan, I would have been better off going to Northwestern or Michigan, Mal, Mal Washington. I nearly went to Minnesota, had David Wheaton gone to Minnesota, but he went to Stanford. Mm -hmm. um, but I went to SC to follow my brother's footsteps and there's a lot of pretty people out here in California <laughs> that had a, a lot to do with it. That, that'd keep you there for a little bit. And, um, but that guilt and that shame to call home to say I wasn't number one like my brother made me feel less than. Mm -hmm. And I actually started thriving in the classroom more than ever. And then mm -hmm. I was introduced to a fraternity house and I was, just, you know, I'm an outgoing guy. At least I thought I needed to be at that time. And I joined a fraternity and got mixed up in some stuff. And, and, and my choices weren't the best. And they started affecting me physically for the first time in my life and uh, emotionally and spiritually. Mm. And so I thought to myself, I saw my peers, Agassi and Sampras, win a finals of the French and win the U.S. Open. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I got to get out of here. I got to get right. out of here. My friends are becoming millionaires and I'm, and I'm going the wrong way mm -hmm. for that, that I was raised. And, um, and I think that was my first taste to what was to come and what I was to, to discover about myself as a human being that, um, mm -hmm. that I suffered from so, st some stuff that I didn't even wasn't aware of. You know. Now, USC now, I don't know if you know, I think at one point they had like the highest suicide rate amongst college athletes. And mm -hmm. I know now they have like a whole department a dedicated towards mental health, uh, yep. specifically around the athletic department, football players, et cetera. Yeah. Do you think that those types of service had mental health been, you know, not so taboo back then or people were more willing to be vulnerable? You think that was something that could have helped? Back oh, then because yeah. 
Yeah, thank God. Thank God. You know, I, I'm I'm looking forward to meeting with Larry Scott ahead of Pac-12. I'm looking forward to who's an old tennis friend. He played for Harvard and on the tour. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm looking forward to meeting with the WTA and ATP. I think Naomi Osaka at the French um, speaking her truth in that moment. You know, nobody wakes up in the morning, regardless of what the opinion to the outside says, hey, I need help. Right. They don't lead that with uh, with so much riding on it. Right. I was extremely afraid of being found out in my experience when I hit the tour. If I got here, then I thought I'd be okay. Mm -hmm. Speaking of security, approval and affection that we were speaking about earlier, I sought those things my whole life and I found a lot of that security on the tennis court. And now I'm playing five and six at USC and I'm not feeling it. Approval mm. and affection, lost that there on the tennis court at USC, even though no one there did anything to me. So I got social and I wanted you to like me. Mm. And so programs like USC and Stanford, a lot of athletes, you look at the Olympians, I think I could be wrong with the number four to six Olympians with golds have uh, uh, taken their own lives in the past three or four years. Um, thank God the Michael Phelps of the world are speaking up because they found a solution. Mental illness or mental health issues. See, I ended up with substance use disorder and addiction mm-hmm. issues. And I remove the things that caused relief from whatever pain I was feeling for, for, for loss of or lack of security, approval, and affection. If my mind's telling me I'm not enough on that, you know, and here I sat after winning the French, handshaking my outsides. In that moment, I'm the best in the world. I've gotten, you know, our family's uh, work has paid off. Mm-hmm. Yet my insides are saying, oh, crap. You know, right. I don't, you know, it's like a, a, a beautiful girl in my case says, I love you, Murphy, and I run. You don't want to love me. Uh-huh. And it's embraced us and the world embraced us. And it was really overwhelming. And I was terrified. And I don't use that word lightly. I was terrified. And then loneliness, you know, disease of isolation, mental health, you know. And so if I don't tell you what's going on, you know, it's going to manifest, can continue, continue to grow, continue to grow. And then I'm going to get shut down, shut down, shut down. And uh, I, I call it grace of God or grace and uh, divine intervention that, that when, um, who you know, the birth of my first son while playing the U.S. Open, you know, I found myself dying, you know, and killing myself and unable to stop on my own stop taking and putting things in my mouth that were going to change me from the neck up that were Mm -hmm. killing me physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And, um, then when I, when I said I'm living on house money, that's true. You know, by the grace of God, I I am alive today because in today's world with fentanyl, 11 people will die within this hour of the podcast from accidental overdose. And you hear about it in Chicago and Ohio and, in New England states and all over the country. Um, 70 million Americans suffer from mental health issues. And usually with mental health and substances, you go to the doctor, they say, take these. Mm -hmm. In so many ways, our doctors and the people we trusted said, you know, you got pain, 
take these. Now I had pain. It might not have been physical pain. It may right. it was emotional pain, you know? And where did that pain come from? You know? And I was really blessed to have a father that, um, that found recovery for himself, that knew that it, that party wasn't over. It wasn't a choice or a moral failing that mm -hmm. um, I was a sick human being. And I think mm -hmm. if our world can treat addiction and mental is health issues, you know, what, if, uh, if Naomi had announced she had bone cancer or brain cancer, they'd have named the damn stadium after her, mm -hmm. you know? And you think about Chris Cornell, the musician, or Robin Williams, you know, these are men that were, were introduced to the solution and psych meds and maybe alcohol, you mix this stuff, you don't know what, you know, and that's how people end up hanging themselves and take their lives. There's a chemical imbalance there that that's really hard. And, um, you know, this, uh, this is way bigger than forehands and backhands, this interview. <laughs> I know we've taken it to another level. Oh, uh, yeah, no, uh, no, I like it. So let me, let me ask you, because, you know, I don't know if you know, but I worked for Pfizer. Yeah. Pharmaceuticals for a long time. Yeah, I didn't know so, that. Uh, yeah, so we I sold Zoloft, which is an antidepressant. Yeah. I mean, and you're right. You know, you walk to the doctor's office. But there's no you know, one size fits all. Yeah, you you know, you have a symptom and, you know, most physicians treat you with pills, right? Or medicine, mm -hmm. right? Not necessarily therapy, right? Yep. The, the quick fix is let me get you some Zoloft. Mm -hmm. let, let me get you some Viagra. You got erectile yeah. dysfunction, which <laughs> also could be a mental sort of thing. Let me get you some yeah. Viagra. Yeah. yeah. Allergies. Let me get you some Zyrtex. So it's always like a, you always leave there with a pill. I say it's uh, to take these medicate, take these. Yes. Yeah. My arm hurts. Take these. Let's take this. So let me ask you this though, because in 1993, right, yeah. I was really, I, you know, I was born in 1980. So I was 13 and I was mm -hmm. just starting to like fall in love with tennis, right? I hated tennis mm -hmm. from Why? same thing, isolation. Mm -hmm. Wasn't a cool sport in my neighborhood. Yeah. I was insecure about walking around my neighborhood with a tennis racket instead of basketball. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I didn't have, you know, like basketball, you got four of the guys to pick you up when you get knocked down, right? You got four of the guys to blame, you know, when something goes wrong. And I think that early in this sport, it's a lot to take the accountability for the wins and the losses by yourself, to take the accountability for sure. the effort. That, sure. That's a lot. Like, that's a yeah. lesson I think every kid needs to learn at an early age. Yeah. But that also requires a very confident person, especially in my neighborhood. Let me tell you, I was the only one playing tennis. Yeah. And I was so, I used to hide my tennis racket in the garbage can at the park. Yeah. Leave it there. Come leave, leave the court, come back the next day for tennis, go get my racket out of the garbage can and start hitting balls again. My racket, my racket at that time was a violin. And right. I'd walk to a violin class or tap dancing and, and kid, big kids would beat me up, you know, if they saw my violin. And yeah. True story. <laughs> you know, so same thing. Yeah. So when, in 93, when I was just starting to like get into the game and watch mm -hmm. it on TV, you and your brother were like rock stars. You all started to like transcend tennis. Because I always like say tennis right now, we're a small sport. Mm -hmm. You know, like in America, we're like, you know, this is our big, this is our Super Bowl right now. U.S. opens our Super Bowl, but in a month, we won't be on TV, right? We'll be in Asia somewhere. You know what I mean? So it's like, we had a long way to go in terms of popularity. Yeah. But you guys were like long hair, hats, swag. You all were everything that an athlete needs to build a brand yeah. 
in a small, you know, larger than the small sport that they play. Yep. And from the outside looking in, shit, that's they got to where they were trying to get to. That's the dream. But you were dying inside. So yeah. And and obviously, I've you know had the opportunity to coach somebody to a Grand Slam title. So tell me, from your perspective, why you were unhappy in that moment when you were on top of the world. Well, in that moment, I couldn't tell you. I, I think deep down, I suffered from imposter syndrome, where maybe I'm a fraud, that I didn't belong. And there I belonged. I served for the match. You right. know, I, I was hitting shots out of my rear end, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and the first time ever playing the French, and we win it. And thank God we lost the mixed doubles, Brenda Schultz and I, in the semis, because we beat Todd Woodbridge and Gigi Fernandez, like one and one on stadium court. Had I not lost, I, my ego would have been so big. I'd have choked right. But I, I think, you know, the underlying issues, the, we all suffer from the same thing, the human condition. We all want security, approval, and affection. We all want to feel comfortable in our skin. You know, I, I, my brother has always been my hero. I think I played my brother kept me safe and protected when I was a young boy before my dad found the rooms of recovery. And I never, I didn't want to lose him. If he would have ditched, dug ditches or pumped gas, I would have done that with him. I did everything with my brother. And in so many ways, I think I was playing to be with him. And the reason I want to be with him. Now, now we got some pesos, we made some bread. And I sat in that moment in the locker room. For some reason, I had that kind of anxiety and that panic mm-hmm. and and those feelings and now hey murph we're adults you're 24 i'm 26 i'm gonna buy a house i don't know how to buy a house i don't know how to do anything uh we'll stay in separate hotel rooms now i'm alone i i don't do well alone you know sleeping in a big house alone and mm-hmm. uh and i don't know why I've never spoken to a therapist before. And uh, and so going back to USC, who does have amazing programs in place today, is I I experienced something while I was there that uh, irritability, discontent, maybe uncomfortable in my skin feeling that alcohol and I was exposed to drugs for the first time provided relief. So, you know, we're all playing and we need, and and I'm exhausted. I remember having a nervous breakdown at the ATP, it was 1994, and Luke and I are in Tennis Magazine and People Magazine and Rolling Stone Magazine and Playboy Magazine, whatever. (laughs) No, it it was great. We were at the Playboy Mansion doing tennis stuff. And it was so much bigger in tennis, as you remember, and... And I was exhausted and I didn't know how to operate as a young adult. I think I was still that scared little boy, um, probably eight years old or five years old, that didn't have the tools to say, and how to take a day off. Or, you know, my mother, it was the marketing genius behind the Jensen brothers and and how she marketed is before tennis accepted us as this cool entity, 
mainstream pop culture, grunge tennis, Pearl Jam, you know, all that stuff, the long hair, the motorcycles, the guitars. And I used to say, you know, we, the reason it all happened the way it did is because we dared to be different. No, we didn't dare to be different. I realized today we were different. You were different. We, we, we weren't from the California or Florida. We learned to play on a wall. We learned to play in a room of gymnasts and hitting between their legs because they're a gymnastic practice going on in the indoor gym at the high school in Ludington, Michigan. And then we were willing to go to any lengths to get the exposure to Chicago and lose to everybody. In today's world, I hear junior tennis, everyone's dodging, dodging, dodging. Oh, they're really pulling out. They're pulling, pulling out. out. Hey, they're looking at your UTR and they're pulling out. Oh, I'm not going to play them. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. It's and I was, I was, my parents, it was never about losing or winning, but effort, attitude. And if we lost, it wasn't going to be because we were out of shape. It's just because, you know, fitness was <laughs> numero, numero uno and compete. Just go out there and compete and fight. And that's a win. That's well, a- let me ask you this, Dan, because when you when from the outside looking in, you figure, OK. Murph struggled with addiction, mm-hmm. right, and substance abuse because he got larger than life and larger than tennis. And look, you know, alcohol, drugs, that's more mm-hmm. uh, if you compare tennis to like Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It's more of a Hollywood thing than a tennis thing, per se. Yep. So most people would assume he became exposed to that after they won the French, after they became rock stars, yeah. not in college. But it sounds like you're saying this was something that happened even prior to the French Open. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, I had my first drinks in high school or, you know, I was exposed to alcohol in the eighth, ninth grade. Mm-hmm. And um, something happened. You know, that warm feeling, I could be a little more loose. What people don't realize is that, you know, they would never maybe believe is that when I was a little boy, I was, I was kind of frightened on the playground, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, 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 and I entertained people in the classroom. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like to use the term class clown, but I probably was the class clown. <laughs> right. And it was like showtime. And I was right. getting beat, beat by the nuns and, and disciplined every day. And I look, you know, and, uh, you know, so I, I think it goes back to the uh, escape, you know. Right. You know, whether I'm escaping through playing tennis all day long, a lot of people find their sport, whether it's hoops, you know, they find it on just go to shoot hoops until the cows come home. The next thing you know, they're, they're sending a $155 million deal out of Duke. And three, two years ago, they're living in the projects of somewhere. It's and then the world says, the world says, how could he screw up like that? He has no tools to navigate a $155 million contract. <laughs> I didn't have tools to look in the mirror. You know, I didn't realize that uh, I, I was, I was, I've been riddled by fear from the get-go. You know, you know, dad, dad's um, inconsistency through, through his alcoholism was something I'm really proud of and I love him to death for is that he found the rooms of recovery and that when he, when he passed away 
and his son Murphy, sober a long time now, um, and I'm able to kiss his cold lips and say goodnight, he knows he can go to sleep knowing damn well that he can leave Murphy to take care of his children and his family, knowing that I'm, that, uh, that I'm on a path that's going to protect not only his kids and, and things are okay, you know? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let me ask you this, because we talked about belief mm -hmm. earlier, right? And if you think about like a lot of people who win their first slam, right? Who actually get to where they were trying to get to, not really knowing if they would ever get there, right? So my favorite rapper is a guy named Nas, New York rapper. Yeah. And in one of his, one of his songs, he talks about false, his definition of fear is false expectations appearing real. Okay, I've heard right? false evidence appearing real. Yeah, so false expectations yeah. appearing real. Yep. And when you think about people like who win that. their first slam. Yeah. Uh, like you guys did. Mm -hmm. And you talked about that you believed it, you know, this, this strong sense of belief that you have to have to even get there. Yeah. But you look at what happens afterwards. Yeah. Right, you look at, you know, Andrescu won a slam and then she's injured and, you know, in yeah. and on and off the tour, right? Yeah. You look at, you know, you guys when you first slam and then the world starts spinning out of control. You know, do you think that, or did you believe that you would actually, even though you were built with a, with a sense of belief, did you really yeah. believe it? Because if you believe it, yeah. then you're prepared. You're like, I'm going to win. Yeah. Once I well, win, I'm going to invest. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that, right? I didn't know what to do afterwards, but... Right. <laughs> I knew I wanted to have a good time. Uh, so, which you, which you did. Which definitely did. I'm not going to say it, it was fun until it wasn't, um, right. number one. And I like what Nas says. I've heard it as false evidence is appearing real. real. Um, but false expectation is really cool, too. That, that makes sense to me. We had won a lot to that point. And my peers were winning. And the Grand Slam level at this by this time, and that's Agassi Courier and, and Sampras and Chang, and it was no different than winning the Orange Bowl or no different than winning one of fifteen national junior titles. I had just like this is what you do in the final. You right. you're cool, right? And and I wasn't distracted by the 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 prize money. I wasn't distracted by. Um, we've been competing such competition and how we competed was more important than anything else. So if our focus is on that, the results are going to come. And we had faith. Now, that's another great word. We had faith. And my brother, the funny thing is we were on a losing streak going after, after Hamburg, run, rolling into Rome. And my brother and I were on maybe an eight to 10 match losing streak in the first round. And, the, and Luke has points, semis of Rome, finals of Bologna, and quarters of the French coming off the next three weeks. And this is the first year he and I are playing together. And I say to him after Hamburg, 10 first rounds in a row, I was like, oh, my God. 
I say, Luke, if you need to find another guy, I'm good. <laughs> uh, you know, he, and you know what he said? I believe in you and your ability, and I don't care if we drop to a thousand in the world, we will be back. And da 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 da. We ended up getting the semis of Rome, finals of Bologna, and winning the French. So it was up here. It wasn't here. Right. And then the day before the French starts, and he says, you know, we're playing well enough right now. We can win this thing. Win this thing. I, truth be told, that was kind of the furthest thing from my mind, but I had this one point, one ball, one, one, one everything at a time. You know, moment to moment, heartbeat to heartbeat. I was so tunnel vision that even when we won, I'm walking toward the locker room, not realizing we have a trophy presentation and then mm. any of that. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I, I found the flow. I got in the flow, mm. you know, that place where I'm no longer thinking and, and I'm seeing it in slow motion and I'm Goran Ivanisevic is serving wide and I'm taking this best up and throwing it, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> He ends up breaking five rackets on the way back to the locker room and Stefan Edberg and Peter quarter in the semis and they're throwing their kick serves and doing all their stuff. And, mm -hmm. and I, we ended up, and if, if you look at the scores of that tournament, the end was a lot easier kind of, except for the final, than the beginning, the beginning, we were down multiple match points, 11, nine, the third and 11, nine, the third, by the finals, we're down three Oh, in the third and ended up coming back because we had faced death. A number of times luke had booked mm -hmm. a flight home on a rain delay and our moms you know knocked their heads together and stefan edberg said we're down five three in the third against uh talbot and pierce who played for ucla great doubles guys and we win seven five we read off the next four games after a rain delay and um and doubles that's hard to do oh yeah sorry and, and yeah you, you don't break two or three times and and you know i i, I hear what you're saying it's uh I, I, I really believe if it, it, it didn't, it doesn't have to be a, a, a person in a high, you know, anxiety is real. Have you, I mean, for no reason, I'll produce nervousness, you know, and, and my life today is about management of those fears. You know, what am I doing to stay a right sized? Like, you know, I take this Murphy and win the French Open. It's Saturday. That's all it is, is Saturday. We just did Saturday. And guess what? We won the French. Right. And right now, you and I, we're doing Wednesday. You know? And guess what? Sun came up today, pride come up tomorrow. And that's where I became a pretty good teacher and coach to the World Team Tennis players because I established trust and love for those guys. Mm -hmm. And none of our, none of my, uh, approval or love for them was based on a single shot or a single point or a single match we won mm -hmm. i didn't care we were going to have a lot of fun mm -hmm. you're going yeah to have, i had the, the privilege of coaching yeah, yeah you know the tennis this summer and it was yeah. i mean to have six people that all can hit a ball better than you right yeah. and to have to lift them up every day right or every night and I have to try to get them to unify is, a, is an extreme challenge, right? Because they're all used yeah. to being individuals. Yeah. But I mean, but you're right. It's just, it's just a, if you just treat them as people, 
it's, yeah. it was so much easier to like not talk about this. Just have, hey, how you doing with this? How you doing with this format? How you doing with being on this team? How you doing with yeah. me subbing you out? You know, if you just tried to address the human side, yeah, we got so much. It got so much out of them yeah. as a unit yeah. this summer. Well, yeah, it's that's the whole drill in the team and, and to take individuals um, that the tennis is a selfish individual sport, even if you're playing doubles, it's pretty selfish. You can switch partners unless it's your brother, because um, <laughs> mom's not going to allow that. Uh, there's something I, I think there is a golden opportunity for world team tennis and Fred Luddy and, 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 and the world to, to get exposed. I'd like to see like a Fed Cup Davis Cup together one right. shot big bucks mm-hmm. you know fed and hingis and you know or whatever the swiss right. against the french and everyone's got a couple of players right um, but the team thing i think also exposes those players that have been like shut down in their own worlds you know i think there is i think the thing that limits a lot of athletes and finding in my and from the day I stopped playing to today is that that tunnel vision works until it doesn't. Instead of saying, you know, I'm a ground stroker, I'm a ground stroker. Well, you're probably going to be a ground stroker as opposed to the infinite. You know, we can go infinite intelligence. We are built for infinite. So when players quit and they're based their self-worth on their ranking, their prize money, the car and driver and the lifestyle there's no the humility has gone out the window good luck working at the mail i want to work in entertainment and i want to make a movie like uh, brad pitt when i you know that's what's going to happen to me mm-hmm. you've never taken an acting class you know <laughs> and you're planning on being in lethal weapon 28 you know right, um, right. and and that's what recovery gave me again was this this um this baseline, I think we were talking about some other stuff is that my willingness to take direction, you know, people and for my personal recovery, I've got a guy that if he called me now and says, I would like you, you know, I suggest you walk to Traverse City, Michigan from Los Angeles. I will do whatever I need to do based on this gentleman's 40 years clean and sober, he had sober as a young man, he woke up naked on the front lawn of the Michigan State Police Post. And I trust him with Hmm. my life, my family's life, and the willingness to take direction. And that's the thing about, that's the trick, you know, getting that information and be willing to apply it and try it and test. Oh, that doesn't work. There's no one size fits all, but I think fear then gets built in. I, you know, I'm getting a little off track, but you hear where I'm going with that? Yeah. hundred percent. Is that players end and they don't know what to do. They finish right. their careers and they, they call me Murphy. You, you, you ran a business down at sea Island, Georgia. And then you coached the cows. You worked in TV with Tennis Channel for 10 years. How'd you do that? Now you, I, I built a tech company. Yeah. I built a healthcare, digital health technology company. How'd you do that? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about that because, you know, a lot of players now or a lot of the top players are beginning to invest in um, you startups, know, mental coaches. Mental yeah, that, coaching, that's for sure. Right. Yeah, yeah. And therapy. Yep. And I feel like a lot of the younger generation who get thrown into this, like you win Kalamazoo, boom, you get wild card to the open, right? Or you win junior French and boom, here's five million bucks. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of those people could use some therapy, not because they're addicted or anything or have a substance, you know, yeah. abuse sort of struggle, but just you continue to talk about how you receive like recovery, right? And the yeah. coaching that you're receiving. Tell us yeah. about the startup that you started, because I think that, you know, yeah, it might've stemmed from your struggle with addiction, Yeah. but when you look at, you know, most of the mental coaching right now and the therapy on tour comes from coaches. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's, it's, it's different. information. It's information, right? And you get your information through your personal experiences. And probably the best information is through your hardships and the times where you had to dig yourself out of a hole. Yeah. Or if you're digging yourself in a hole, you put down the shovel. Right. You know? So tell us about tell us about WeConnect. WeConnect Health Management is a yeah. digital healthcare solution that that supports uh, people with substance use disorder, addiction, and mental health issues. And basically, if you were to go to a, 20, a 28-day program, through divine intervention, I met my co-founder through the principle of service. I'll tell you the story how it happened. Seven years ago, I was heard uh, a player before me say, um, I'm getting my real estate license, and I'm starting this new, uh, this new venture, and he's you know, 60 years old, and I'm 44, my dad had just passed. I said, I don't know if I want to try something other than tennis and wait that long to reinvent myself. But my mother-in-law, while, uh, while visiting over Thanksgiving, asked if I would take a family friend to a support group meeting. And, and I'm giving you the long story, and I should tighten it up. But had I said no, you know, by me helping that gentleman or anybody and everybody that reaches out their hand and or asks for help, I'm helping myself. That's number one. And number two, the, my, in, in that meeting, we had coffee. He said, you know, while you're at Richard Branson's Island, um, my, a, a girl in my outpatient program who worked, built out system engineering teams for Microsoft was there as well. You should meet her. And we got together and she shared with me her story where she went through a 28 day program. And when she was discharged, they gave her a piece of paper. Do these 10 things for the rest of your life and everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. And the, the driver of relapse or re, re, reoccurrence, recurrence is lack of accountability to that care plan. Lack of connection to the key stakeholders in your recovery. It could be your case manager, your counselor, your therapist, um, your pr- primary care physician. So we digitized that piece of paper. Mm. And then we, we started a program where we're, we will reward you like in elementary school, we got gold stars for attendance, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we started selling to health plans 
and treatment centers and providers on that level, the health, health insurance companies, you know who, who cares? It's a trillion dollar cost to society today, to employers, to health insurance companies. It, prior to the pandemic, the opioid epidemic was the number one cost. It's, a, it's 3% of the GDP. And listen to Murphy talking about these numbers, but these statistics are mind boggling. And there, unfortunately, there's no shortage of customers. And September here during the US Open is National Recovery Month. Mm -hmm. And as of today, WeConnectRecovery.com, WeConnectRecovery is offering access for all to 70 million plus people that have issues or concerns. Because my dream now, we've, been, we've got a platform that helps where I ended up. I wouldn't say rock bottom because I'd be dead. That's rock bottom to me. And you can't help a dead guy or a girl or a person. So I'm looking to get the recovery curious, the ones that, you know, that are maybe interested in changing their relationship with substances. You know, every time I wake up smoking a little herb, it's legal in all these states. Right. Until it starts affecting my relationships, my work, my school, my, my relationship with me, you know? And so we built an app. We've got peer services and peer recovery coaching like you and I, as tennis people, we have some experience there. I also have, um, and, and also for the, the people that are affected by their families and communities that are affected by SUD, substance use disorder and addiction, you know, what's in it for them? Because that disease takes an entire community hostage. It wrecks the economy, it wrecks the schools, it wrecks the children, it wrecks their future. It takes, you know, and, and, and my brother's never had a drink or a drug a day in his life. But it can mm -hmm. manifest in being a workaholic. It can manifest in being all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, to build a tech company, you know, for the past seven years, and we've had over a million people in the last 12 months. And if, if all this, it's, it's about saying, you know, if you're hurting, call Murphy Jensen. I, I'm here for you. <laughs> you know, for real. Well, well you, you know, what's funny is but before you even started this, you, you before you even started this, you were always the bundle of joy. If you were having a bad day and you ran into Murph, mm -hmm. he was gonna make you feel better. I mean, yeah. like you're on a natural high. Well, which is which is so, so nat. This is natural to me for you. Yeah, the, this is a, a perfect fit because not only is it professional, but it's personal, and so I'm inspired, and it's easy to go to work because you know, being of service and, and um, sharing my story helps people, helps people because people that shared their story with me helped me. I don't know, I'm sure you know my friend, John Lucas. Absolutely. So John, John had a, a similar story and I'm playing the Philadelphia Spectrum. I saw it on the news. He may have been coaching the 76ers, but I saw his story over a long time. And I, and I heard that Laurie knew him. And I reached out to Laurie McNeil and I, can I get his number? He felt like I felt. He experienced what I experienced. He, his choices were similar to mine. And he found a way out. I didn't even know I was in. 
you know, mm. I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm. And John, John loved me. John said, let's get you on a plane. Let's fly to Houston. And he loved me. And, he, and, and it's incredible. It's incredible. Like the fact that we're, I'm sitting here um, sharing hope. You know, when I talk to technologists and engineers and data scientists, I'm like, we must build an app and technology that's going to give Murphy hope because I'm the hopeless if I'm at that hopeless state. Mm -hmm. And now we're looking to expand those services to let's get less people here. Let's catch them here and get them some tools, right? That's Mm -hmm. the top of the funnel is the secret sauce. You know, instead of getting over here to a trillion, let's cut the trillion down by getting less people over here. That number is going to continue to grow. Because my alcoholism was progressive. It, if I were to pick up today, it would be as if I never stopped progressive. But what I've discovered over time is that what I got away with in my first five years of recovery, and there's a number of pathways in today's world. There's harm reduction. There's so many wonderful things that are keeping people vertical. And that's, the, that's number one. Let's keep Murphy you know, breathing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 20 year ago, Murphy. Um, but there's a number of pathways and it's about getting to that baseline. And, and I also believe that, you know, um, just a willingness to let someone help me. And I see tennis players, you know, they're so hard headed. They, they want to do it themselves. They want to control this, the, this. My disease was this disease of control. And it was going to convince me that another drink or another drug was going to be okay. This time it'll be different. Mm-hmm. And uh, life is an inside job. You know, life is an inside job. We want to get to where we want to go. You said that I, I'm this guy with joy, but I was dying. I was unrecognizable to myself in 1999 playing the U.S. Open. I was physically, spiritually, and emotionally not dead and might've been breathing, but I, 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 I completely, that's where it can go. And that's not new news. Well, let me ask you this because now, you know, you got anti-doping, you've got mm-hmm. all the stuff on tour, mm-hmm. right? Where random drug tests, whereabouts, where every day, Mm-hmm. of your life right now you have to put your whereabouts in address and you have a window of which you know wada whoever comes and tests you yeah. how did you you know struggle with this or with substance abuse yeah and go under the radar from anti-doping and the tennis testing i don't think it was as progress as is uh big of a a deal as it is today, the testing, they Mm -hmm. had testing, but it wasn't. Um, And I wasn't uh, a a person that misused substances all day, every day. Like, you know, I know people that say, you know, I had a drink every day for the last 35 years. Right. I was periodic when I got a break, when I got windows from the tour. But what happened was it started to bleed in started to bleed in a little bit. I started missing matches. I stopped going to practice. It started to bleed into my personal and professional life in a big way. Mm -hmm. And uh, luckily I met 
John. And luckily I met a lot of Johns. I met a lot of those guys. And luckily a hotel manager here in Los Angeles didn't call the police. He called the interventionist. And that interventionist, when I may have had um, a day to live, um, asked if I had willingness to, to get help. And I, and luckily I said, yeah. And I ended up in a detox and then I ended up living as a top 10 player in the world in a sober living in Culver mm. city for a year. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I said to the manager, can I go to the Australian Open? I got to go to work. He said, sure, <laughs> just don't drink and use while you're there. <laughs> and, I, and I brought my dad and we were going to support group meetings together. And it was absolutely magical. You know, mm. it, it's priceless. And what I thought was the worst thing that could have happened to me has turned out to be the greatest gift of my life. I listen. But think about it. Those losses we had on the tennis court. That was the worst loss. I was up 605, up 411. I lost. But if I take this and allow something else to come in and replace, you know, what I like, what do you do now that you don't drink? Well, I drink water with bubbles. Um, right. You know what I do? I love you more. I've learned to love me. I allow you to love me. I've learned to forgive myself. I've let others forgive me. I allow myself to make mistakes and not beat myself up over it, you know, and it's holding on to this thing called life. It's, it's, it's exhausting. Mm. I've learned how to relax. I've learned how to not struggle, you know, Mm. and, and, um, and I'm really, let me just say, I didn't know this was going to be, you are very good at what you're doing but this i didn't realize that our podcast today would be so awesome well thank you no you're very it's really incredible it's really incredible that like you know i might do another podcast and talk about some of this stuff again or or be on tv talking about this stuff but it'll never be like this this is really special well i appreciate it i think you know yeah i think i'm I'm just genuinely interested in trying to get to know and curious and you're somebody that I grew up literally when I I say I promise you as a kid who 1993 was 13 years old and probably wish I was playing basketball because that was Mm -hmm. that was the cool thing to do yeah you and your bro were two of the cool guys that kept me in the game thank you so that that so this is this is an honor for me and you you know I, I appreciate you you know, look, and you were a commentator too, right? And this is sort of a new thing for me, having done mm-hmm. all the other stuff I've done. Yeah. So I appreciate you, you know, yeah. those, those kind words from you. But I just want to, I want would... to thank you for the time that you've given me today, brother. Thank I you. always enjoy. I still owe your brother an ass whooping for World <laughs> Team Tennis last year. It came down to one point, and I swear Hawkeye Live was wrong because the damn ball was out. And it cost my, my team 250 grand. I know. And, and it was a total bluff. His energy, literally, his energy. That's why I yeah. say you two are contagious. Yeah. His energy in the timeout before the last point yeah. got Coco all riled up to yeah. smack that forehand. As big as she could. The big, I mean, it was the biggest bluff ever, right? <laughs> but his energy put the battery in her back. Yeah. And that's what you've been doing your whole yeah. career yeah. is, you know, I don't know if anybody's ever told you that, but let me tell you, as uh, as somebody that's traveled the world mm-hmm. and, d- and didn't have a lot of friends on tour, right? Because I was, you know, I didn't play on tour. I wasn't a professional tennis mm-hmm. player. 
And when you're not a professional tennis player and you start coaching at the Grand Slam level and have success, yeah, it can be an unfriendly environment. It can be an environment where, like, yeah, well, who is he? What, what does he know? He didn't until you game. win, until you and your players yeah. win, and until you win, right? Your even yeah. even before we won, yeah, you and your brother were welcoming and yeah. uh, you know made it a smooth transition for me. So I thank cool. you for that. Yeah, man. I also want to thank you for today, man. I appreciate that you've been yeah. very generous with your time, man. Well, say a prayer that I make it to the airport and back to my baby. On <laughs> and I say hi to Billy. Tell Billy I said what's up. He still got that ponytail? No, he cut his hair at the age of 18, and he's a 4.0 student at Seattle University, and I'm the proudest father on the planet. Uh, of what, Tell him I what? said what's up. Yeah, absolutely. He will. And if, and he, if will, he wants to come back to Chicago and get work on that forehand again, I can I can tweak it a little more too. Need, he has a forehand. He needs to just do some of the other stuff. You know? <laughs> he needs some of that Jensen chip, a little sort of yeah. volley, a little drop yeah. shot. Yeah, he he's all the jump. Great kid, and that's what's most important for all of us. Uh, all of us is that uh, you know we maximize our our humanity. You know, and, and, and the world is in a place where we need to maximize. There's a principle I live by in my house, which is our common welfare should come first. You know, and that's that would probably get rid of a lot of the issues that I don't oh want. My goodness. Right. You know, goodness. and if, you know what John Robinson at my detox said to me, and I'll leave with this. And um, he said to me, and I'm feeling as low as a person can feel. He said, Murphy. If no one's told you they love you today, I do. And, and as corny as that sounds, tennis fans out there, that's a really big thing, you know? Look in the mirror tonight and look at yourself and say, I love you, man. Yeah. You know, you're enough. And, yeah. and, and that makes a difference. Well, and, you know, this is science. Sure you, We're sharing man, the world. Sharing with you, the world you, you're going to be getting a lot of calls, man, because you're an inspiration. Thank you. And uh, this is the Tennis.com podcast. We have had the honor and privilege to have Murphy Jensen on here. We're going to probably cause him to miss his flight from L.A., but we want to thank you. And, uh, you know, keep going, brother. Congratulations on your new venture. Yeah. All the success. Thank you, you too. Take care and stay blessed. Thank you, brother. Love you.